Hey there, Mike Stelzner coming to you with a fascinating update you might not be familiar with. Did you know that Social Media Examiner can deliver all the marketing, training, news, and trends, insights that you need into your inbox three days a week when you sign up for our newsletter and it's completely free? Simply visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates and take your marketing to the next level. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what the heck works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Scott Monty, the former head of social media for Ford Motor Company, and we're going to explore how to build relationships with bloggers. And I have a brand new discovery that's going to absolutely blow your mind. As a matter of fact, let's transition over to that right now. After introducing a vegetarian diet to piranhas, look what Michael Stelzner discovered. Do you share content as part of your social strategy to other people's websites uh, with the idea of kind of becoming a hub of knowledge for your industry? Well, there's a lot of pros and cons to that. Obviously, the pros are that you are not always talking about yourself, and it allows you to basically spread spread the love and and help others. Some of them may even be competitors, uh, get exposure for whatever it is that they've written about on their blog. But what about when um, you, what if there was a way that you could share content to other people's stuff and still easily bring them back to your own content with little or no effort? I know it sounds like a pipe dream, but with this brand new tool that I found, it is very, very easy to do and it's shockingly cool. It's called Sniply, S-N-I-P dot L-Y. And the way it works is it's a lot like Bitly. It's a link shortener, except it's a link shortener on steroids because what it allows you to do is put a link to any destination, whether it's your own content or someone else's content. And then it provides this next extra step. And this next extra step is where the magic happens. Basically, for if you were hypothetically going to link to socialmediaexaminer.com, one of our cool articles, what you could do is you could paste it into Sniply, and then it gives you an option after you put that URL in there to go ahead and create a piece of text and another URL. And what it does with this information is it allows it to um, float on the bottom of the screen, kind of like a little advertisement that's floating over the top of the content that they're reading. And it even includes your photograph. So to give you an example, I went ahead and took um, a link to mykidsadventures.com. And then I put in, after I put in the, the, the link to our website, our, our parenting website, I put in the, the words, check out my other site. And then I put the word click. And if they click on that little word click, it takes them to social media examiner. Now, what's really cool is this little thing just hovers across the bottom of the screen and it's there and it's obvious And this is just a really cool way to share links to other people's content and put a little subtle reminder in there that, hey, I've got something you might want to check out next. It's really slick how it works. 
So um, to give you some perspective on the way it works is they've got a, a bunch of different plans. They've got a free plan where you just put in your basic URL and um, a simple call to action and it works and, and that's all there is to it. And you could use this as a replacement to Bitly all that you want. Then for $15 a month, they've got what they call the pro plan and it allows you to do some cooler things. For example, it allows your photograph rather than just a generic icon to be in there. And it also allows you to um, use different colors. And then they've also got a business plan that's $100 a month that allows you to do um, customized short links so that you can put a, a domain in there that's a little different. And just to give you a perspective of how this works, when you share this URL, the whole website is actually hosted on Snipply. Most people won't even notice that. They'll think that they've gone to whatever the URL is, but it's actually not. It's pulled in in the background. So um, some of the possible uses of this, and by the way, I've got a screenshot in the uh, show notes so you can see how it looks. But some of the possible uses of Snipply include sharing links to other people's content as a way to get them back to your site. Kind of like when they're reading a cool article, you could have a follow-on that says, and by the way, if you want to read another article about this very topic, click here and it could take them to an article that you've written on your website that's topically relevant. Another thing that you could do is you could use it to link to your very own content. And when someone goes onto your website, it's like a little ad for something else. It could be a little ad for a special download or don't forget to subscribe to our email newsletter so you don't miss anything. So that's another way that you can use this. Um, so, you know, if you start thinking creatively, there's a bazillion different ways that you can use this. As far as I know, this is a very new tool. I'm sure it'll become much more sophisticated as time goes on. I would like to be able to see different sizes, different locations on the screen. But for now, I think it's pretty slick. So check it out at snip.ly and be sure to let me know what you think in the show notes. Did you know that we can deliver awesome marketing info directly into your inbox? Simply subscribe to our weekly newsletter that comes out three days a week. You won't miss any of the updates going on in the world of social marketing. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates. With that, let's transition over to today's interview on blogger relations with Scott Monty. To help simplify your social safari, here's this week's special guest. I'm very excited to be joined today by Scott Monty. If you don't know who Scott is, he's Ford's former head of social media. He blogs at scottmonty.com. And his podcast is I Hear of Sherlock Everywhere. Scott, welcome to the show. It's a pleasure to be your special guest. And I forgot about all those great voices that you do, Scott. <laughs> I didn't have any practice uh, mimicking your intro guy, so I just figured I'd give it a shot right out of the gate. <laughs> well, today, Scott and I are going to be talking about um, blogs, how, why they're important, how to build relationships with bloggers. And as a matter of fact, Scott, you were recently um, interviewed by adweek.com and you were talking about paid, earned and owned media and you referred to something called rented. And you said, quote, sites like Twitter, Facebook and YouTube, we don't own those. We're using other people's property, unquote. So talk to me a little bit more about this concept of rented, Scott. And do you think blogs play a more important role now? Well, you know, I don't think blogs play any less or more of a role at this point. But I think, you know, what, what led me to, to make those comments is we've all seen what's going on with Facebook. I don't think there's a marketer out there who isn't concerned about the drop of organic reach of their posts on Facebook. 
And I think the the challenge there is how do we how do we continue to use this behemoth of communication in in the marketing space because you know there's over 1.2 billion people on Facebook so you can't ignore that but how do you live with it in a way that it's palatable and that you have other options as well so the reason I called those sites rented is because. Facebook is ultimately in control. They can throttle the, the feed or the algorithm however much they want. And we as marketers and communicators have to suffer the consequence unless we pay up, essentially. Right. So, yeah, a company can have a Facebook page and it's the company's page, but it's not owned by the company. They may control all the content, but Facebook controls the architecture and the, uh, the infrastructure. And the delivery, so, yeah, the delivery capability it, it, to that it, audience, right? Exactly. No, absolutely. So, you know, I think that leads us to really put more stock in, A, what are your owned sites? What are the sites that you can control something? And I've always been a big advocate of having a hub of, of centralizing uh, your, your content and then having all of these digital outposts in the rented spots all around and then having good relationships with journalists and influencers of whatever sort is appropriate for your business, whether it's a trade publication or a very niche vertical blog or what have you. And then, of course, using paid media around all of that to strategically uh, amplify those earned, owned, and rented spots that you've, uh, that you've just done. So it's not about just using paid for promoting the ads that you have, but it's also using paid strategically to promote that other content. So let's thank you for clarifying that. Let's let's talk a little bit about blogger outreach. Um, I know you did plenty of it when you were at Ford. Can you kind of talk about what is blogger outreach and why marketers should consider it? Well, it's not really all that different from media relations. Uh, you know, you could call it blogger outreach, blogger relations. It's again basically looking at who the influencers are, who are the the people who have an audience somewhere online that you can either invite to special events, uh, give them experiences with your products or perhaps with your executives or with subject matter experts so they can go and do what they do, which is tell stories to their audience. And any brand has a, its own story to tell, but they've also got an experience or a product or as I said, exposure to the individuals at that company that can inspire other people to tell the story. So, you know, it's pretty simple to figure out who are the main industry pundits and influencers and bloggers uh, in any particular industry that you represent, and then reach out to them. See what, see how they interact with other brands. Is it a paid relationship that they require? Because some of them do, or. Are they, do, do they treat themselves more like journalists and, and members of the press? And I think it, the, the difference there, and, and there is a, there's a real importance to understand that difference. We'll, we can talk about that in a minute. But the difference is there whether someone is doing this as a full-time job or whether they're doing this as a hobby. You know, Maybe they have a full-time job and this is something they just happen to like to do. So the, the, the importance of understanding that difference is this. If somebody does that as a full-time job, then they're essentially a member of the press. They just happen to have a different, um, a different publishing medium or a different publication than, 
you know, your your Wall Street journals, your New York Times, etc. And and it's important to treat them like members of the press. On the other hand, if you've got somebody who, you know, let's say it's a mom blogger uh, who has a day job but talks about certain issues that are relevant to your company or your your uh, brand, she may not be willing to take three days out of her work schedule to come and go on a media junket with you and not be paid. Right. So, and again, everyone's different. And, and this is why it's blogger relations, right? It's about building relationships with these people, just as you would, or as your PR team would with members of the media. It's about getting to know these people, understanding what they write about and giving them exactly what it is that they're looking for. You brought up some really interesting distinctions here between public relations and blogger relations. And I'm just curious, do you see a lot of parallels? I mean, you've already mentioned quite a few, but it seems to me that in the world of social media, in the early days, Scott, it was the public relations folks that were kind of coming into social media. And then social media kind of developed its totally own ecosystem and way of doing things that seemed to be kind of different than public relations. But it seems like what you've done is kind of brought the best of public relations to blogger relations. And it seems like that's worked really well for the work you did at Ford. Is that a fair assessment? I think so. And, you know, it's always a fine balance. But, you know, my area of social within Ford was under corporate communications. So we were right in there with the PR team, the rest of the communications team, uh, you know, supporting the events and the, and the, the launches and the executives that uh, were spokespeople. And we just mixed bloggers in with the journalists. Now, some of the tried and true journalists kind of turned their noses up at being lumped in with bloggers and didn't really give bloggers full credit for what it is they were doing. But we made it clear that this is how we're doing business. And like it or not, this is a shared space. And, and you absolutely need to understand that. Considering that you work closely with both, what kind of share with the marketers that are listening right now that maybe haven't really developed blogger relationships? What's the power of bloggers compared to traditional media in your opinion? Well, look, it's for the most part, for most bloggers, you're not going to have the same reach or potential reach as a traditional journalist would. But then again, there's many blogs that have been to, been been brought together under a kind of a network approach. Uh, if you look at, um, oh, I don't know, say the, the, the Gawker family of, of right. sites, right. those each started off as, as a hobby. You had Jalopnik that was automotive. You had Gizmodo that was tech. Um, you have Jezebel, which is women's issues. Um, uh, Deadspin for sports. I mean, and they brought them under under this uh, this Gawker network, and suddenly they've got the infrastructure, they've got the support, they've got the the media buying team, they've got a cadre of journalists that can actually go out and do journalistic kinds of things. Right, so that's very different than the stereotypical view of the blogger, which is somebody who's in his pajamas in his parents' basement, um, who, frankly, you know, social appearances and, and uh, hygienic habits aside, <laughs> may very well have a powerful reach depending on uh, what it is that he or she writes about or how they've networked themselves, right? So it's, it's really important to spend time 
on these people's publications to see what they cover, to see how often they post, to see who they interact with, and what they're most likely to write about. Um, you know, I, there are too many organizations, and it's both brands and agencies, that simply pepper bloggers' inboxes with press releases. Oh, yeah. We get, and, we get a lot of that. <laughs> right. Right. With the expectation that you're going to be so excited about this press release that you're going to say, oh, okay, I'm going to write about that. Um, when there's no relationship that's been built whatsoever. Right. So that's why it's important, again, not only to do your research online, but to reach out to the individual and start to build some kind of rapport with them. Well, I like the fact that you mentioned, I mean, or implied that there's a huge variety of bloggers out there. I mean, there are millions of them out there. You've got the Mashables and the Gawkers, and then you've got sites like Social Media Examiner, which are by no means small. And then you've got lots of lots of sites that are really niche. You know, like I'm sure there's mm -hmm. probably hundreds of Ford bloggers out there. Am I right? I don't know. Maybe there's not. But well, you know, there's a that's the thing. There's a niche for everything, right. and you can go, you know, broad and wide, or you can go narrow and deep. And it depends what you're trying to accomplish. If you're on an awareness campaign. And you probably want to go with some of those broader things. If you really want people to dig down and understand the specifics of your product or, you know, about impressions that they've had by using your, your product or interacting with your brand, then that's where you're going to want to go after some of those, uh, those niche players or, or to get them to, to, you know, spend a day at one of your factories or uh, with your team or, or whatever it is that you can give them as an experience. That's where a niche relationship comes into play rather than one of those broader ones. So for the person listening right now who wants to get into blogger relationships and they're looking to start at a strategic level, what do you recommend? Do you have any tips or suggestions on where to start when it comes to putting together a blogger relationship strategy? Well, I think the first thing is, and, and everybody listening should be completely conversant with this already, is know your business. Know the vertical industry that you're in. Know the trade publications. Right, So you, you've already got a sense as to what's being covered. The next thing is try to map that to uh, different influencers in the space, people that are quoted in, in the news or in uh, different publications. Um, go to technorati.com, which even after all this time is still a very useful resource in terms of mining you know, who the bloggers are and what their sites are and relatively how they are influential with respect to each other. Um, you know, those are, those are a few good starting points to uh, at least give yourself a grounding as to what the playing field looks like out there. And then, yeah. yeah and by the way, uh, just a few additions to what you just said, Alexa.com is also a pretty good site yeah. to kind of get a feel for where they rank in the universe of all websites. It is. Or compete. Yep. Compete is a little buggy sometimes. Quantcast is another one. Um, yep. There you go. If they run advertising on them, but but so what I hear you saying at first is identify who the players are in your space and try to figure out how big their audience is, I guess, is what you're saying. Right. And sometimes they reveal that data in media kits. Right. And, you know, or yep. subscriber counts or social proof. Maybe I don't know, like uh, you can look at some of the how many fans they've got on the various social networks. But um, but go on. You were going to be adding some more there. So so that's that's a start, you know, at least understand what the playing field is. The second thing is you want to understand what it is that you're trying to communicate. And this would be something that I would think would be done in conjunction with your 
communications staff. You know, there's there's a way that they approach uh, journalists. Well, why not co-opt what they've already done and understand that it's not going to be exactly the same? Again, back to my earlier mention of just blasting press releases out. That doesn't work for every blogger, right? So you have to understand: Are they visual? Do they do they prefer video? Do they like to have in person interviews? What's the What's the way they like to communicate? And make sure you've got your assets ready to deploy uh, whenever appropriate. Um, and again, in as much as you can, you can borrow the uh, the assets and the um, uh, existing plans from your PR team. I would say make sure you're aligned with them in terms of the timing and uh, and everything else that's going on, so that you're not working at cross purposes. Um, hey Scott, and then, let me pause yep. for a second. Elaborate on the assets, just because that can mean so many different things to so many different people. What kind of assets are you talking about when you say assets? Well, if you're, if obviously, if you're in any kind of industry that uh, visuals work, um, that's key. You know, social visual communications is such a hot space right now. So having something to physically demonstrate what, and look, it doesn't have to be a photo. Uh, and certainly photos are great, it could be an infographic. It could be uh, a slide deck, a simple slide deck. It could be, um, a, video? It could be a YouTube video or you know, a homegrown video that, that, uh, that you've done. Um, anything visual that's arresting because you know, when people are scrolling through their phones or their sites or what have you, um, they're, they're not really stopping. You see that thumb flicking through time after time. What's going to stop them? Not a bunch of text, but some images. So to the extent you can have images tell your story and then provide those kinds of assets to your journalists and bloggers, the better off you're going to be. Let me back up for a second. Um, when you are in the early stages, when you're identifying the bloggers and you've got the list of bloggers that you think you want to develop relationships with, What's what's kind of some of the first steps that you would recommend to someone? And maybe not everyone has a big communications team behind them, you know. But what would be some of the first steps that you would recommend? For example, maybe try to meet them at a show or what? I mean, just send them a blind email. What would you recommend to try to get that relationship in place before you actually, you know, need anything from them, so to speak? Well, I think the first thing you want to do is spend time on their site. Spend a good couple of weeks following them on wherever they are on online. So their site, their Twitter account, uh, if they've got a public Facebook profile, see what it is that they talk about and what they do and uh, what kinds of things they're sharing. Uh, and, and, and look through the comments too. Look at how people interact with them. And not only will that give you a sense as to the, the caliber of individual and, and, and their relative respect within the community, but it'll also give you kind of cues as to how you might want to interact with them as well. And then when you're ready, you know, go to their contact page and see how they prefer to be contacted. Are they a LinkedIn person? Are they a phone person? Probably not. Are they, do they want a text message, right? Understand what their modes of communication are and then use them. Don't use what's native to you because that may be a turnoff to people. And, Again, if you've been following them, if you've been interacting with them at all, um, you'll know exactly what to say. 
great place to start is to give them a compliment about some of their existing work and, and a compliment that shows that you've actually read it, not that you've just given a cursory glance over their site and you've referenced the, you know, the latest post or, or something in the last three posts. Do something that represents uh, some sort of knowledge that you've attained right? and take it from there. You know, it's funny because um, I've interviewed a lot of people on this show about relationship marketing, like, for example, Ted Rubin and many others. And it really doesn't take a lot when when bloggers bloggers are used to being bombarded. I hate to say it by PR people and I can speak from personal experience (laughs) and bombarded is the appropriate word. You know what I mean? They just basically blindly throw crap, if you will, at us and they hope it sticks a little bit. But those that stand out go out of their way to actually understand who we are as bloggers, know what we're personally interested in, and do things to, to really stand out. Um, for example, I had, and I'm drawing a blank on the name of the company, but I had um, a major brand send me a bunch of paint and a little kit in the mail. And um, and it was just some, you know, obviously they spent a lot of money on it, and it totally got my attention. I took a picture of it, I put it up on Facebook, and I didn't end up doing what they wanted, but it was huge. And other brands I've seen do really cool stuff Um, the kind of stuff, Scott, that I did when I first met you, which was, you know, you go to a trade show and you see who's speaking there and you interview those people and you essentially give those people what they want, which is exposure to your audience. And that's something I don't see a lot of brands doing, which is just kind of trying to become a publisher themselves in order to develop relationships. And I've been doing this since day one. And I think that's part of the reason why I have so many great relationships with so many people like yourself, Scott. And these are things that are strategic. They take a lot of time to plan out. But when you have those relationships with people, um, it goes a really long way, doesn't it? Have you guys ever done anything like that at Ford? Um, you know, we've done we, – we did a, a, a pretty unique thing uh, when we did the um, – uh, um, it, was, it was the Focus Global Test Drive. This is when the, the Ford Focus was being relaunched globally. So that it was the same car all all uh, around the world. We wanted to invite twenty influencers to go over to Barcelona, um, and and take part in this, and and not just from the U.S. but from uh, all of Europe and and the U.S. And what we did is we created twenty videos, each one customized with a personal invitation for the influencer. So if we knew somebody liked football, we'd go down to Ford Field and we'd be on the field there and we'd put their name up on the Jumbotron and, you know, just kind of speak to them about what was going on in the context of their likes. And you blew and them away, didn't you? They were blown away. Completely, because right? what, what did we, we do? We put it in a YouTube uh, uh, link and we sent them the link. And usually when you send an email invitation or, you know, some sort of communique to invite an individual to something, it's just between you and them. But in this case, you've got everybody able to see the video, and the influencers, 75% or more of them, said, this is awesome. I want to show people what you did for me. So they plunked that video down on their blog, and it got even more views. So we actually started spiking the, the pre-portion of the event before we even got the event off the ground. That's brilliant. And I can tell you, I can count on one hand the number of people that have sent me a personalized YouTube video in the very first email that they've sent me. Hmm. It's that few, you know, and how hard is it now with your smartphone to hold it out and literally talk to it for two minutes, right, Scott? But you know what? That is a guaranteed way. 
you know, and in the email you say attached as a video, um, Mike Stelzner that I made just for you. I mean, I can almost guarantee hundred percent of the people are going to click on it. Right. So these are the kind of things that it requires a little bit out of the box thinking, but it's really not as hard as you think. And people appreciate that because that is so unusual. And, and you know, you can appreciate how, how much work it is, right. As any marketer could, because, uh, that means they must really want your attention if they're willing to go to that level. Um, so Scott, one of the questions I know some people are thinking about is, you know, in, in anyone's industry, and let's just take uh, the automotive industry. There are probably hundreds, maybe even a thousand different people that you could reach out to. How do you discern which ones to reach? Is it just the size of their audience? Do other factors come into play? What wisdom would you give to those that aren't sure where to start considering how big and how massive their space may be and all the bloggers that are out there? What do you think? Well, when we first started doing this, when I came to Ford, we had a, a traditional um, model year event at, at the test track where all of our vehicles for the next year, we, we put them out there and we gave our spiel to auto journalists and business journalists and then we let them drive the car. And you know, this was, I think, a month after I joined. I said, let's get some bloggers in there. So we invited 10, right? And then at the, the auto show the next year, we invited 15 and then the following year, it was 50. And the year after that, it was 100. So we, we gradually grew our program. We didn't just go in and, and invite 100 straight out of the gate. You know, we grew the program. We knew what we were looking to achieve. You know, we wanted to get um, more awareness. We wanted to build relationships. We wanted to uh, have the highest share of positive share of voice among all of our competitors at these events. We have a caller. Uh, <laughs> I knew that was going to happen. It's all good. Um, <laughs> um, and, and, and we grew it from there, right? So it's about kind of planting a flag somewhere. Uh, it, maybe it's, you know, for, for uh, folks listening, maybe it's starting with a particular niche. Maybe it's just one blogger, right? Maybe it's a handful. And, and seeing if what it is that you're trying to achieve is actually possible given – uh, you know, that kind of relationship and that kind of, uh, that kind of site. One of the things that I think so many marketers overlook is the value of a face-to-face meeting. And, um, I think trade shows are the easiest way to accomplish that because you know that a lot of bloggers will be at conference X or conference Y. And if you can go out of your way to do something with them, talk to them for five minutes, invite them and their peers out to dinner, have a little party. I mean, these kind of things, go a very, very long way in developing relationships, don't they, Scott? They absolutely do. I mean, look, everybody focuses these days on the technology, on the platform, on you know what the next shiny object is. And it's funny, I remember years ago when I was at Boston University, David Letterman came to film The Late Show there. And he went through the student handbook, which was the physical manifestation of Facebook at the time. And he found this student in a dorm whose interests were business and people. And Dave, and Dave goes, well, you know, if you don't really like people, you're not going to do well in business, are you? <laughs> and that's, that's what we're talking about here. It, it, it doesn't matter what the technology is. Uh, B2B, B2C, uh, it, it's F to F, it's face to face, it's person to person. That's what matters in this. And look, if you're a good business person, if you're a good salesman, it's not about figuring out how to sell on Twitter or how to sell through a blog. It's about taking the principles that you already know and espouse in business 
and simply applying them to having relationships with people online. And, you know, for folks that don't know Scott, Scott has done this so well. Scott, you have such deep and powerful relationships. Some of them you brought to Ford, but many of them I'm sure you developed as while you were at Ford, that people that are our friends have gone out there and bought Fords just because of you, or they've chosen to show an example from Ford when writing an article instead of an example from Toyota, you know, and you have developed such a great relationship with so many people in the world of social media that it's made it very, very easy. And, you know, Scott, you've never asked, I don't think you've ever asked me ever to do anything for you, but I have reached out many, many times and wanted to get you in front of my audience. So, you know, folks, just study Scott and you'll do well. Now, Scott, one more thing I want to ask you is earlier in this conversation, very early on, you mentioned that you need to know who you're reaching. And some bloggers work for really established organizations, which frankly are the minority. And many other bloggers are all over the place. And some of them are, you know, got a full-time job and this is a part-time thing they do in the evening. So let's broach the topic of when do you pay a blogger? Talk talk to me a little bit about that because a lot of people listening right now might be like, okay, how do I broach that topic? You know, if a blogger asks me for money, um, what do you recommend? And at what point, you know, what what are the nuances we need to understand about that? Well, you know, it's going to vary uh, for everyone. Uh, I, this is not going to be a universal solution. And I think whatever you do, you have to be completely transparent about it. Um, what's interesting is the FTC requires bloggers to disclose relationships that they have with brands, and yet they don't require that of journalists, which I think is a horrible double standard. And if you're going to require people to disclose, have it, you know, period. Right. Which any good journalist is going to do that on their own anyway, but, um, and then decide what you're going to pay for. At Ford, we knew we would never pay for journalistic coverage. But if we asked a blogger to serve some sort of consultative role for us, you know, maybe we were heading, heading to um, uh, San Diego, for example, Mike, and, right. and we were um, looking for a great place to hold a reception where we could park our car out front. Well, rather than deploying a group of um, you know, grassroots PR people in the local market, We'd work with a blogger and ask them to use their knowledge of the, of the space, maybe get a group of people together for us and make arrangements at the restaurant. Of course, we would pay for the event, but we, we might also give the blogger a few hundred dollars for, uh, in consideration for expending that effort on our behalf. Okay, So that, that's one way of doing it. If you want to pay for media coverage, if, if you want to pay for a post to be written about you, Understand that you're moving outside of the realm of journalism. Now you're working purely in the space of marketing where you're giving someone something and they're giving you something back in return uh, because of a payment. Um, and it really it's just a different form of advertising. It happens to be on their site and in their words, but it's promoting your brand because you paid for them to do it. Okay, so... Nothing wrong with that. Again, as long as everyone is disclosing what the relationship is, that's important. We had a, um, we had a handy document that we would share with our bloggers uh, before they actually came to visit us for an event or, or what have you. And if you want to find it, it's actually um, it's at bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash Ford Bloggers, 
all lowercase. So bit.ly slash Ford bloggers. Uh, it's, it's a one-sheeter, um, all about our rules of engagement with online influencers. And if you want to follow our model, that's fine. But again, this is just our way of being completely transparent about what we did and what our expectations were. Well, what I hear you saying is that if you're going to have an event and you're bringing in a blogger from out of town, it's not completely unusual to offer to pay to get them there. Um, but you're not paying for the actual press itself. You're just helping them get to the event. Um, or perhaps there's a blogger in a local city and, and you're willing to hire them as a consultant and, and it's not a lot of money, but it is one of those kind of things because they probably don't have a lot of time and it's just a way to compensate them. But I'm guessing in your case, Scott, the vast majority of the press that you guys got you probably, with the exception of flying people, you know, out to where Ford's headquartered, there probably wasn't a lot of outrageous expense to connect with these bloggers, or maybe was there? Um, no, it was really these these events. I mean, we every summer now have done instead of that model year event, we had started doing a um, a trends conference, and we would have two hundred influencers come out, and we'd have a number of those seats reserved for bloggers, and you know, you're talking about airfare, meals hotel it's not a cheap event to do for 200 people right but you know with the with the coverage that we got and with the change perception they had of ford and you know maybe in some cases this was a first step uh, I hate to use the term wine and dine but you know it's it's a way of introducing some people who might really be turned off by ford to come and exactly see what it is that we do and you might be surprised you can do the same thing with your business. It doesn't have to be on that kind of a grand scale. But whatever it is that you can put together and that you can do to demonstrate value to someone by informing them, by educating them, by giving them something that they otherwise wouldn't get, you're going to start somewhere and build that relationship. Last question, quick answer. You've developed the relationships. You've got nice little cadre of bloggers that you feel like you have a strong relationship with and you're about to launch something. What do you do? Do you just email them saying, hey, here's something. Let us know if you, if you want any more information or if you find it newsworthy. I mean, what's the, what's, the, what's the ask? Well, I think you need to understand, again, what motivates each one of them. You know, for one, it may be, um, you know, we're getting ready to launch a new, pro- a new product would you like to sit down with our, our chief engineer or our CEO or our head of product or whoever gotcha. it may be and have a one-on-one? To another, it might be, hey, we'd like to give you a behind-the-scenes tour of exactly how the making of this product worked and bring your camera and we'll, we'll give you a full, Sweet. Uh, full run of the whatever it is, the restaurant, the, uh, the factory, et cetera. Awesome. Scott Monty, you are a rock star. I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your insight with us today. Where can people discover more about you? Uh, You can always find me on scottmonty.com and any of the social networks you want to find me on. I am Scott Monty. You are Scott Monty. And Scott, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate you enormously. My pleasure, Michael. Pleasure to be here. Well, I hope you got a lot out of that interview You can catch all the links to everything that we talked about in today's show, including Snipply, that cool little resource I mentioned earlier that allows you to share content and bring people back to your site by going to socialmediaexaminer.com slash 98, 98, wow, 98 episodes. Can you believe it? If you're not already a subscriber to the podcast, 
visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes and hit the subscribe button or socialmediaexaminer.com slash Stitcher. And while you're over there, please do give us a rating and or a review that helps us get discovered by more people. And we always love to hear your feedback. Well, this does bring us to the end of the another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day and may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Want more good stuff? Sign up for our top-notch social marketing newsletter. We deliver it straight into your inbox three days a week. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash get updates.